Okay, my name is Darren Joseph from HJ.Tax. We're a team that seeks to demystify the sometimes confusing world of cross-border taxation. And today we have the honor and the privilege of joining us, Edward Gordon. Edward, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Edward Gordon. I own a company called Preservation Capital Partners. Uh, we've been doing tax structure work uh, for over 30 years, both for U.S. domestic and for non-U.S. Uh, families. Uh, and entrepreneurs, some actors, some athletes, but not a whole lot, mostly entrepreneurs and wealthy families. Fantastic. And today we're going to talk about an often misunderstood concept called PPLIs. Please, could you explain to us in, in layman's terms exactly what is a PPLI? Sure. So, um, PPLI is nothing more than a cash value life insurance policy. So I start from the beginning. Most people are aware of traditional retail insurance product. So whole life or regular universal life. And in those insurance contracts, somebody puts dollars in an outlay or premium. The insurance company takes out a pound of flesh for their fee structure, commissions, and so on. And after that, what's left over falls into a bucket called cash value. And cash value is, uh, is exempt from current taxation. So grows tax free. It can be borrowed out tax free. And when the insurer dies, the death benefit of the policy is paid tax free to the beneficiary. So those are really great attributes. In the retail product, the insurance company invests that money in their general account. And we care about the credit ratings of those insurance companies because if the money's invested in the insurance company's general account, it's subject to the insurance company's creditors. Hmm. So if New York Life or Guardian or Northwestern Mutual went out of business, your cash value is subject to their creditors. And when the money is invested in their general account, typically the insurance companies investing in very conservative investments, bonds, mortgages, fixed income instruments, nothing really overly sexy. It's because they're looking to drive the quality and the stability of their product. There's another product that insurance companies have on the retail side called variable life. In variable life, the cash value is not invested in the general account. The cash value is invested in other assets, for instance, mutual funds or, uh, or ETFs or other investments that are on the insurance company's platform, typically overpriced and underperforming. And usually the insurance company owns those investments. So I think Pacific Life owns, you know, uh, mutual fund company, New York Life owns mainstay funds and Guardian owns Park Avenue Securities and so on. Um, Nice, but wealthy people can do things that other people can't. Um, and that brings us to the private placement variable life. And one thing I should bring up before that, because the assets are not held in the general account of the insurance company, and they're held in what's known as segregated accounts, or sometimes known as protected sell accounts, the cash value of a variable life policy is not subject to the creditors of the insurance company. 
that's pretty incredible when you think about it. So the insurance company is really acting as more of a, an administrator in a variable life policy. So the insurance company puts together a contract. They may own the risk portion, the death benefit mm-hmm. piece, or they may lay that off to Munich Re, Genry, or Swiss Re, or one of the reinsurers. Mm-hmm. And they're not managing the cash value. So they're really just acting as a administrator. Since wealthy people can do things that other people can't, the institutional world came out with a product that was known as variable life. And since the only investors are allowed to invest in it are, incre- are accredited investors, the government said that you must do this as a private placement. Mm-hmm. So adopting the word of using you know other Wall Street scenarios where they're only available to accredited investors or qualified purchasers. In those environments, we come, we come in two flavors. One, the investments of the insurance policy can go to a list of insurance-dedicated funds that are on the insurance company's platform. So just like the retail product without the fee structure, without the, you know, it's the minimum cost structure with sexier investments. Mm-hmm. So you may be able to buy uh, select investments like Millennium Hedge Fund or Golub Capital or much sexier investments that are on the insurance company's platform. The other model of that is where we spend most of our time, which is called the separate managed account model. When I first started in the business, it was called the asset allocator model. Mm-hmm. And that's where the insurance company lets you choose a manager. And that manager goes out in the world and can invest the funds of the policy. Now, again, the great advantage of these policies is that cash value grows entirely free of taxation. Mm-hmm. Done, depending on the design of it, money can be borrowed out of the policy mm-hmm. tax-free. And upon the death of the insured, all of those assets are paid in cash or in kind as death benefit. Mm-hmm. To use the wrong terminology with the same result, if I have assets in my policy mm-hmm. upon the death of the insured, Mm-hmm. They're paid to the beneficiary at then current market value tax-free. You and I would say that is a step-up in basis. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not really a step-up in basis. It's death benefit under Section 101 of the tax code, but it's the same mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm. So if you can get the cost structure down on these policies to be a de minimis level, mm-hmm. and you're driving cash value return, you can end up with large amounts of tax-free death benefit far in excess of what you could buy in a traditional life policy. Mm. You'll, In essence, if you think that your investments can beat the way the insurance company would have invested the money, then this is a much better product. And since most people we work with believe that private equity and credit investments and other investments that are tax inefficient otherwise are better investments inside of these vehicles. Mm. Um, Sorry, that's a nice segue as well, because up until this point, we've kind of been saying cash, but other assets can be folded into this structure, right? Sure. Sure. So let's go over the two rules. Because boiling down, there's only two rules when it comes to Mm -hmm. the design of these products. Okay. One rule is the the diversification testing. Mm -hmm. And the diversification testing takes place after the, the first quarter, after the first year. Your policy must meet requirements on the last day of each quarter following the first year. Mm-hmm. What are those rules? A little confusing. No one asset could be worth more than 55% of the entirety. 
Mm. No two assets combined would be 70%. Mm -hmm. Three assets, 84 assets, 90. Wow, that's very specific. But there's exceptions. Yeah. But there's all sorts of exceptions. Right. I'll, give you, I'll give you one exception. If one of your assets got really pregnant, mm -hmm. swelled in value, mm -hmm. you could clearly be out of diversification on market value. Mm -hmm. But there's an alternative test called the market fluctuation rule. Mm -hmm. And it says that I can value the assets at their cost basis for diversification. Okay. So for instance, if I put in $5 million into an insurance policy and uh, the asset allocator or the manager you know, invested a million dollars into five different assets, 20% each, I clearly meet my diversification. Mm -hmm. And you know, some quarter later, we find out that one of these investments really, really swelled in value. Mm -hmm. We're still diversified because of the market fluctuation rule. Otherwise, you could not have fixed assets inside of these products. Exactly. You, know, yeah. only, you, you, would, you would be really subject to only assets that the manager could liquidate prior to the end of the quarter to reshuffle the deck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one. Two, another uh, weird exception. If real estate or a real estate entity makes up more than 80% of the value of the contract, you actually have 60 months to meet the diversification test, not 12. Mm -hmm. Just an odd rule. Mm -hmm. And again, there's all sorts of weird rules. For instance, U.S. Treasuries or any government-guaranteed asset counts as a diversified portfolio by its nature. Mm. So I, it's funny, I was reading, you know, getting really geeky. I had to read something on diversification the other day, and I came across a private letter ruling that said, if you had $250,000 in a CD, and the CD was FDIC guaranteed, mm -hmm. that $250,000 counts as a diversified portfolio of assets. It meets the exception of a government mm -hmm. guaranteed security. Okay. So right now we keep up, we have a lot of money sitting in U.S. Treasuries or U.S. Treasury money market accounts where mm -hmm. the sole investment are U.S. Treasuries. Mm. So, Interesting. so you, know, you mentioned Treasury. you mentioned two rules. So the first one is the diversification piece. What's this, what's the second? So, so the diversification test is reported to the insurance company after the mm -hmm. last day of each quarter. And just so you know, you don't mm -hmm. need to be diversified the day before, only on the mm -hmm. day of the last day. So you may have a portfolio mm -hmm. that has a high concentration in a liquid in a, in a one position. Mm -hmm. And then the manager may, the day before the end of the quarter, look to diversify and then go back to it afterwards. So that right. there's a mark. It's the last day yeah. of each calendar. Good. Okay. Yeah. That, is a, that is something that is seen and reported. And if mm -hmm. you screw it up, you potentially can screw up the tax nature of a life insurance contract. Mm -hmm. The other rule, which is hard to see, but I think is more important because it's where the IRS will really scrutinize these policies. Mm -hmm. And there's really only one real court case on this rule. And that's the rule of investor control or owner control. Right. Yeah. And what it says is that the owner of the insurance policy mm -hmm may not dictate what is specifically bought and sold on a granular regular basis mm -hmm. so my client can tell me as mm -hmm. manager mm -hmm. i want to buy things that are kosher sharia compliant don't hold firearms over some holiday that's fine mm -hmm. they can't say go buy apple stock right and i don't even, yeah. and i don't even think that my client should be able to suggest to me here are 10 things that would be really good for my policy you choose which one you want and how much Mm -hmm. 
I think to the letter of the law, that's probably okay. But I think optically, mm-hmm. the client's just better off giving an overall philosophy and we go out mm-hmm. and, you know, open up an account at Goldman Sachs to manage the mm-hmm. equities and open up an account at somebody else and maybe be commodities and then go out and buy different private equity and subscribe to different deals. That's what we mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. as a manager. It has an enormous amount of flexibility, mm-hmm. um, but since the rule of investor control is not statutory, it's judicial, mm-hmm. a judge can one day decide that it's something different than what we think it is. Okay. There was a court case called the case of Jeffrey Weber. If you'd like, I wrote an article with a bunch of lawyers. It's, mm-hmm. uh, if you have trouble sleeping, it might be a good mm-hmm. article to try to read. Where was it published? Uh, 2016, 2017. Was it in like tax notes or what was it? A journal of taxation. Journal of taxation. I'm sure everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Jeffrey Jeffrey Weber had a private placement life policy owned by a grantor trust, which means that he, as grantor, Mm -hmm. owned the policy for tax purposes. Mm -hmm. Important. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey Weber had tens of thousands of emails directing his managers to what to buy and Mm -hmm. sell on a grant regular basis and went on for a very long period of time mm-hmm. and obviously nobody knew about it supposedly uh you know let's just say jeffrey ticked off somebody and they became mm-hmm. a whistleblower mm-hmm. and sent the irs a laundry list of things to look at and this was one of them mm-hmm. and the irs and the tax court rightfully held that during the existence of the direction of these emails and the manager by the way took a hundred percent of that direction and acted on it in accordance to the direction mm-hmm. Um, that you don't get the tax-free buildup of the insurance policy that you should have, and you owe the taxes you should have paid plus interest. Mm-hmm. There yeah. were no penalties mm-hmm. uh, in that case. I could tell you a million reasons why, but I don't know factually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with the two lawyers uh, that were involved in that case. There's only two people that I know that really were involved in a case of investor control. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is really a spectator thinking they know what they're talking about. Um, it, it is a rule where even Senator Grassley had asked um, the, the GAO to write a report on private placement life policies and their abuses. And it really came down to the example I gave. It just said, this is perfectly fine. The owner may not tell the manager to buy Apple stock. That is actually the example that was given in the GAO report. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had clients send me pitch decks mm-hmm. and I just call them back and say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's not an investment we can make in your contract. Yeah. I, I don't care if it was a winning lottery ticket. <laughs> it's just, it, it's just, yeah. you know, it, it's not just them that I'm worried about It's my reputational risk. It's mm-hmm. the industry. I don't want, mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin this and it has other real advantages. So in essence, the cash value portion of the insurance policy is an LLC. Mm-hmm. An LLC has a manager mm-hmm. bolted to the top of that LLC is a certain amount of death benefit required under the law to right. call it insurance. Mm-hmm. And you have an insurance company that bolts it all together and provides the administration and the contract. Mm-hmm. So Bob's insurance company doesn't manage the assets. Manager does. Mm-hmm. Bob's insurance company really doesn't reserve for any of the risk mm-hmm. because the death benefit piece is bought through Unicree, Swissery, Genry, Canada, you know, there's a million reinsurers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And each quarter, Bob calls the manager and says, how much is in the policy? Do you meet diversification? Mm-hmm. Show it to me. Mm-hmm. 
And then Bob writes back and says, here are Bob's fees, what they call an M&E, and here's the cost of the death benefit this quarter that goes to Munich or or, uh, Genry or one of the reinsurers. Mm-hmm. And the manager wires the money to the insurance company to pay Bob's fee and the reinsurance fee. And then you don't hear from them until the next quarter. Okay. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.